As we prepare to open up God's Word to Psalm 22, shall we take a moment for prayer, asking God now to bless not only the reading, but also the preaching of His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity now that we have as a congregation to gather before Your Word, to hear Your Word, and hear Your Word preached. We pray that Your Word would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would hear what Your Spirit has to say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. We will read together Psalm 22, and the sermon passage is from 25 and 26, verses 25 and 26. Let's take our look at Psalm 22 together. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the, on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breath. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him and all offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and has not hidden his face from him but it's heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kings belong to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat 
worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And then look back at verses 25 and 26. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. As far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you can see as we were reading through Psalm 22, there was a change in David's tone, in his posture, as he was very much describing the moments of his son Jesus Christ while upon the cross, those moments of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those moments of the nails being driven through his hands and his feet, those moments when he looked down and saw people casting lots for his clothing. He wasn't even dead yet, like Scrooge in the Christmas Carol. He wasn't even dead yet, and he saw people buying his clothing. And then you get there, starting in verse 21, 22, really to the end of the, end of the, end of the psalm, a change in David. A change in his tone where he moves as it were, the way we move when we realize why Christ went to the cross. The, 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 the consequences of the cross then, then come out of us and our response is not grotesque or that's horrible. Our response is, thank You, Lord. I, I, want, I want to share what You have done now to anybody and everybody I come and talk. I've got to make sure my brothers hear this. I've got to make sure... The attendant at the store hears this. I've got to make sure my neighbor hears this. I've got to gather with your people in order to praise what you have done for me. That's the change that David makes. It moves from a lament to a praise. It moves from sorrow to joy. It moves from heartache to a new heart. Understanding what Christ has done. Understanding the salvation we have in such a Savior. And as we move with David in verses 25 and 26, we're going to continue to reflect upon the cross of Christ and see the response to such a moment leads to praise in the church. Leads to our worship of Him. And David does this in two ways. Here in this psalm, he does this by focusing upon the praise and then showing us where we find true satisfaction in this life. And so the theme for the sermon could be David shows us praise and true satisfaction comes from God alone. David shows us praise and true satisfaction comes from God alone. And he shows us those two things starting in verse 25. 
where our praise comes from. And then finally in verse 26, where our satisfaction comes from. And so let's consider together verse 25. Praise from God. Look at those words again. With our Bibles open, we have those words in front of us. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. David once again takes us to the praise that one should find in the church of the living God. In the congregation of the Lord. So as we consider this verse, consider it with just these two things. The first is the fact that God reveals praise to us in Scripture. He reveals the content of our praise. The way that we should praise Him. And then secondly, consider the fact that while in worship, we are to pay our vows while in church. We're going to look at that in just a moment. First, look at that first part of verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. We need to first of all recognize that David is speaking of his personal praise. What's coming out of his mouth, his heart. This again is that change in the voice of the psalmist David. As he's moving from grief, he's now moving to praise. Throughout most of the psalm, David has been speaking prophetically with the voice of Christ. And he still is. He's just now representing himself. This change takes place back in verses 22 and 23. And again here in verse 25, where David is saying, this is what Christ has done. This is how I've responded. I respond with praise. It's also true of Christ. He too praised the Father. He too thanked God for the opportunity to redeem His people. He too gathered with the congregation of the Lord to worship. You must understand here, As David says these words, David's words are being read even today in the church. David's words are continuing to be prayed, sung, preached, meditated upon, used as moments to see Christ's fulfillment, Christ's life and His work. David's words are being used in such a way, these words, therefore the very words of God given to His people. So, we see that David's praise is found in the congregation. And secondly, we also see David's praise is of God. It is of God. This is the amazing part for we must recognize the subject and the object of our worship is God. It is God. This has been from the very beginning, shortly after the fall. Mankind began to call upon the name of the Lord, gathering together for the purpose to call upon the name of the Lord. It says that in Genesis 4, 26. This is the way 
it has always been. We gather to call upon the name of the Lord in worship. The people of God have desired to gather together in order to do that very task, to call upon the One who provides. To call upon the One who has created them. To call upon the One who has saved and redeemed them. David is revealing to us this same desire from Genesis 4.26 is seen here today in Psalm 22.25 to gather together with the congregation of Jesus Christ for the purpose of calling upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we've gathered to do. In prayer, in song, in sermon, in giving, in confessing, called upon the name of the Lord. And the only way we're able to do this in worship is due to God's self-revelation. God coming down and telling us what is pleasing to Him in our worship. He's told us. This is how He wants to be worshipped. And so when explaining the Heidelberg, the second commandment, the Heidelberg Catechism makes it clear that we are to worship God in the manner He has prescribed to us in His Word. Some call this today the regulative principle of worship. The Bible simply calls this the law. That's how we are to obey God, through our worship. God reveals to us who we are to worship. The first commandment, God alone is to be worshipped. God reveals, us, reveals to us how we are to worship. The second commandment. Without any images. God reveals to us where we are to worship. The third commandment. Where we all gather to call upon the name of the Lord. In a holy way. God even reveals to us when we are to worship. Where we are to worship. And when. Particularly today. This Lordship with the people of God. This is so important for us to recognize this morning. For God has revealed all this to us. We've already read from the Ten Commandments that aspect of worship. God has spoken to us through His prophets and apostles. They have given to us His Word which directs us in our worship. It gives us how to worship God. He's not left us with a blank piece of paper and said, you figure it out. He's given it to us. We are able to worship because God has revealed to us how we're to worship Him. Our worship then comes from God. He's the source. And we worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we're able to dive into this because of that, because all of that's true, we're able to see a little bit more of what David means when he says what he does in verse 25. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. Those who fear Him are the same up there, the great congregation. So let's break this down here just a little bit more. This slowly and catching everything David is saying for us this day to the benefit of our worship. First, notice David, what he will be doing. Notice his actions. David will pay his vows. And so recognize first that David is speaking of his attendance in worship. Church attendance. That he is planning, and it's important because this verse is also fulfilled in Christ. We never miss the opportunity 
to gather with God's people, to be in the presence of Christ, to have this moment, to be in it. But David, David's making it clear. He's not missing that opportunity. And then he's also not missing the opportunity to perform his vows in that moment. Let's recognize the connection that David is making then as he's, as he's saying, I'm going to be with the God, I'm going to be with God's people, but the great congregation of the Lord, those who fear God in order to pay my vows. What vows? We recognize already that as we saw the first part, this must mean that vows are a part of the worship experience that are part of our gathering together. This means that we must also take up vows while we have gathered in worship. One such vow to consider here in, in detail, and we'll see it again in just a moment, is the attending together for worship, also called church membership. Membership in the church. In that vow of membership, in that vow of being a communion together, the promise that's made, the, the declaration that's made, is that we are going to be committed to each other and to the attending of worship together. That's that vow. That we will be here. Together. You see, and then we must have this discipline then of gathering together for public worship. We must have this proper, positive discipline, just like we're told by the dentist to brush our teeth morning and, and evening, to floss, just like we're told to wash our hands. It's a discipline that's for hygiene. So here's the hygiene for our soul. And we're told to gather. Together. And for when joining this church, when joining the church, we make a vow to do so to be together, to hold each other accountable. And that's what David is saying. My vows I'll perform before those who fear Him. Notice he's saying he's going to do it publicly. He's going to be with the people of God. Vows are vitally important for our yes is to be yes. I will be a member here. And our no is to be no. Secondly, we must see where these vows are performed. I've already hinted at it with those who fear God. If we make the connection with the first part of verse 25 with the last part, this means this is talking about the church. And we're able to see in verses 22-24, those who fear the Lord gather to praise and worship God together. And so the wisest thing for a person to do in the moment they have made a commitment to God and His people is to gather with God's people for worship. That's the best thing to do. David makes this point here. Those who fear the Lord will gather together as God's people for a time of worship. They will do that. And I have put it this way to people who have said things like this. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard this. Probably. It's not unique to where I've been. It's all over. But I've, I've heard people say this. Oh, I'm a Christian. But. I just don't like going to church because of the people there. They are such sinners. Have you met them? They're, un, they're mean. They're unkind. I even had one person said, 
<laughs> me as the pastor, you were the only one that shook my hand. Like, well, you, don't, you know how many churches you don't even get to shake the pastor's hand? Hundreds, thousands across this land. You don't even get to meet the pastor on, on the day of worship. But I'm not going to attend here because everybody else decided not to shake my hand. Oh, well, cry, cry, please, please. So my response is something like this. When, when I have somebody come to me and say, I'm a Christian, but I, I'd rather not be with the people of God. That's what they're saying. To reduce it, to, to get it down. I say, well, what do you, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Who, who do you think's going to be there? You? Just, just you? All by yourself? What do you think heaven's going to be like? Who do you think heaven will be filled with? Those people you see so clearly as sinful people are those people God has redeemed. They will most likely be in heaven. But those who defy God's law, pay close attention. This is my answer to them. But those who defy God's law by not gathering together with His people will not be there. They won't. Stop neglecting the gathering together of God's people for worship. You call yourself a Christian, but you're not a part of the body of Christ. That means you're not a Christian. A Christian will desire to be with Christians. That's the point. That's what David's saying here. You see, congregation, heaven or eternal life begins now. Begins at this moment. And so every time we gather, we experience a taste of heaven. Every time we gather for worship with the congregation of the Lord, we get to taste eternity. That's what we're doing. Third here, in 20, verse 25, we must see the application of this verse before we go to 26. And there are a couple of important applications. The making of vows is a worship experience. It's a, it's a moment of worship. Simply put, public declaration of faith is an act of worship. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 10, if you confess Him before men, He will say your name in heaven. If you deny Him before men, He'll deny you in heaven. And so public profession of faith is to be done in the public gathering of God's people. You commit yourself then at that moment to the communion of God-fearers, of worshipers of God. The same is true of marriage. This is one of the reasons why I think we have so many people that like to church hop. They don't understand what a vow means. Just like vows in public profession of faith, there are vows at a wedding. There are vows in marriage. And sadly, people find it too easy to skip out on both vows today. People will change churches like they change their taste, whether they like a Whopper or a Big Mac. Taco John's or Taco Bell. And then because of such policy like no-fault divorce, people will treat marriage as if it's a revolving door. 
what happened to us being people of our word and of honor, of commitment, of saying my eyes are covenanted between God and my spouse. I will look upon no other. What happened? Which then takes us to the second application there in verse 25. We're to keep our vows ever before us in the fear of the Lord and with those who fear the Lord. This is what it means to be a communion of the covenant of the covenant community. So, for example, when you when you make the vows for marriage or church membership, there are witnesses there to keep you accountable to each other. There are witnesses. They are there to make sure that you keep your word. This is all of our responsibility at that moment. This is why every covenant relationship in the Bible and even today have witnesses. They are the accountability partners. You don't have to go searching for them. Just look around. That's what it means. That's what it means. Creation even stands as a witness of the covenants in Scripture. And you are all witnesses to each other's commitments to this church. Which is why when one falls into sin, you must go, as Paul says in Galatians 5, and, and, and approach him gently. Striving to see repentance to bring forth fruit. It is then when the church acts like the church in this way that we can see where our true satisfaction comes from as a people of God. And our true satisfaction, as David points out to us now in verse 26, comes from God alone. Look there again at verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. Make your, may your heart live forever. And as we break this verse down, we'll break it down into three parts. Seeing three things. First, we'll see God's gut. We'll see God desire to for us to taste and to see that He is good. And then we'll see the desire to praise the Lord. And then finally, we'll see this beautiful benediction there at the end of eternity, of life forever with our merciful God. But let's first taste and see that our God is good. Look at that first part of verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. This part of David's words must be understood in two ways here. The first way that we can see is at face value. The literal poor, those who are destitute, will eat and be satisfied. It, will see, we, it would seem that one of the consequences of the Gospel is that we will be hands and feet, yakinal, merciful, hands and feet, providing for those people that are unable to provide for themselves because of loss and cross, because of burden that they and only they are bearing. In other words, the gospel does desire to take care of the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the destitute, those that are in need of help. May we not forget the gospel is what produces 
diaconal ministry. Not the government. It's the gospel. This is a part of God's call to the church to help the afflicted and those in need. God uses us to do that. But then the second way to understand these words is the way of the Beatitude, Matthew 5. The way of the Beatitude. Jesus would say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we must remember that those who are poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven. They will live forever. And blessed those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it says they will be satisfied. As our verse points out. These are the wonderful realities of those who fear the Lord and place their trust in Jesus Christ alone today. You will have eternity. Life forever. And you will be satisfied in Christ. It's then when you recognize that bookend really of verse 26 seen with those Beatitudes that you'll recognize right in the middle of verse 26 is the praise that you will then want to desire to give to God. Look there at that middle part of verse 26. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. Very much a reminder of John 4 that God is seeking those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's recognize the context of David's words here are His worship. Worship. In other words, you congregation are the ones seeking after God. You are the ones that are gathering as the believers in Jesus Christ seeking to be in the presence of the Lord. All the way back to Genesis 4.26 to this present day, the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, desire this moment, this experience, this time. We must not think that this part of verse 26 is speaking to people seeking the Lord for the first time for their salvation. No, we know that there are none who seek the Lord. No, not one. So these are people who have already tasted and seen that God is good, that He provides. And in that manner, they continue to go back for more. They want more of Him. More of the Lord. And that's why they continue to hunger and thirst. And then are satisfied. This is the calling the Holy Spirit has to gathering into God's presence where we then hear God's Word call us into this moment for worship. We hear His glorious greeting telling us that we are in His grace, peace, mercy. And then we open up His Word of truth where we are reminded through the sermon that we are called to faith, called to repentance, called to Jesus Christ. And then we leave with His blessing upon our lives. To love, live, Him, for Him. And what's our response? Our response is verse 26, it's praise. We'll praise the Lord. Only the people of God will seek God in worship. Only they will seek Him to worship in His spirit. This is what God desires, according to John. This moment, this time, you. 
those who seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. And this is what we've gathered here today. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing. We are, verse 26, tasting and seeing that God is good. We are satisfied and therefore we praise Him and we're reminded of this beautiful fact of the Gospel. That in this moment we begin to live forever in Christ. Look at those last words of verse 26. May your heart live forever. Here we have a wonderful close to our passage this morning. May your heart live forever. Consider the fact that the Christian, those who fear the Lord, those who are in Christ, will be satisfied when they worship God in spirit and in truth. We see here that they are the ones who will live forever. We need to simply open these words up to see the beautiful reality for today and for tomorrow and forever. And forever. First, we recognize the requesting and the supplication that this is language of of a benediction, language of providing a blessing upon the people of God with these words. May your heart live forever. That is to say, David is blessing the people of God with the reality of what it means to be in God's redeeming hand. You will live forever in the grace of God. But secondly, recognize the language of heart is actually to speak of the inner man, what, what makes up man. All of man. It's not just the, this, this part in our chest that if it were to stop, we're dead. That's not it. In all honesty, it could have also been translated kidney, but that just sounds weird. Who says that? But it's talking about that very life of us. What makes us live, notice, will go on. When this physical body goes and it dies and is buried in the ground, waiting for the resurrection of the dead, our souls will continue to live waiting for that glorious reunion at Christ's coming. That's what David is getting at. We're not just fertilizer. We will live forever with our Savior. Thirdly, this does speak of eternal life. We have life forever in Christ. And this is true because of the resurrection. This is one of the reasons I believe David moves from the cross to praise is because he realizes Death can't defeat his son. Death is powerless. And so this is the resurrection that we have, the hope of everlasting life. By the resurrection of Christ, we have the promise that this life is not all that there is. But there is life to come, a satisfying life to come. And in this time, we already see God is good. He continues to provide. So in closing, congregation, let's recognize two simple truths from this passage this morning. First, first, you were right where you belong. You were right where you belong. If there are some not here today because of sickness and health, they are fine. 
God understands. He provides. You are right where you belong. If there are others that have failed to gather with the body of Christ, then you must seek them out and encourage them. Encourage them not to neglect this gathering. Christ called His disciples to go seek the lost. Not to butcher them. But to seek them out and gather them back into the fold. To leave the 99 and go after the one. We must recognize that. With the vows that are made when coming into a church, this is right where you belong with the people of God for this time of worship. Second, and last, you need to recognize where you're going. This is not where you're going to stay. You are going somewhere. This life is not all that there is. There is more to come. Christ left in order to prepare a place for us. And He promised to return to take us where He is. He has given to us His Spirit and His completed Scriptures, His completed Word, so that we can have that guide, guard, and compass to direct us and to take us into where we're finally meant to go. Our final destination. We have everything we need in order to understand what it means to live in Christ and what it means to worship God correctly. And may we find, our, find ourselves in His Word, with His church, with His people, looking forward to everlasting life with our Savior. That's something to thank and praise God. Amen. Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank You for this moment this opportunity we've had now to gather into your presence to hear your word. We pray that your spirit would continue to apply these words to our lives, that we may continue to grow in the grace of our Savior Jesus as he continues to mold us and make us the trophies of his grace. We also long we long to continue to be with your people as your people. And more important, we long for heaven. We long to be with our Savior. And in the meantime, we pray that you continue to give us this passion, this desire to gather, to be with your people, to worship, to care for, to encourage, to nurture that we may continue to see the gospel at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.